welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Oh, good morning, New Life Fellowship. Uh, today is Christmas Day, and it's very exciting. Uh, I want to wish a very Merry Christmas to all of you. Um, right now, I'm probably with my family, uh, eating and opening presents and just enjoying being together. Um, the day that I'm actually recording this <coughs> is not actually today. It's actually a few days ago. Um Timey-wimey-wibbly-wobbly, if that's a reference anybody gets. Um, I have a few thoughts I wanted to share with you all this morning. Um, Pretty short, uh, to the point, hopefully. And um, specifically, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Isaiah. And we're going to look at Isaiah 9, verses 2 to 9. And I've even got a visual cue. So you guys can actually open up your own Bibles or your apps or whatever and follow along. Um, I'm kind of tempted to just read the whole passage, but I think I'm not going to. I'll let you guys uh, read the passage. It's pretty awesome. Um, And there are some verses in here that are pretty common for Christmas. um, And we'll hit those. Um, But what I want to do is actually just look at the whole kind of the chunk of seven verses from chapter chapter nine, verses two, right down to chapter nine, verses seven. There's some pretty cool things in there that um, God's been using to speak to me. And I think that God wants to kind of speak to each one of our hearts um, for those who are watching this. For some reason, I'm thinking about Marco right now because I love you. Um, And I can't call you out in person or public. This is kind of public. Um, I've also told myself I'm doing this in one take. So there you go, folks. Okay, so what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to just start right up at uh, verse 2. So this is Isaiah 9, verse 2. It starts off this way, and you've probably heard this this verse before. Um, The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of darkness... On them, a light has shone. Uh, this verse speaks to me a couple different different ways. Um, the first thing is that kind of this verse is sort of talking or describing two different two different groups of people. Um, there are people who are walking uh, in darkness and people who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness. And I, for me, I like I'm both of those people. Um, I can remember times when the stuff I was going through, the pressures of my life, the relationship problems, the business problems, the money problems, like whatever, it felt bleak, it felt hopeless, and I felt stuck. And it felt like I was just living in darkness. I look around and I couldn't see anything to be hopeful for. Um, I've also had it where my life felt like it was on an upward trajectory. And maybe I get like kind of hit with a couple of blows. and maybe I kind of move into a time of discouragement, but also kind of feels temporary. And I know things are going to get better. For, I think I'm kind of in one of those times right now, to be honest with you. There's been some, uh, my business is kind of going through a really important transition time, which is really exciting on a lot of levels. Um, there's some extra instability right now, which is just kind of hard to handle. Um, 
and there's some just this, there's just stressful stuff and it's like you know what I mean I've just got to get through it and I've been so looking forward to the Christmas holidays because I'm like that is the end of my darkness you know um but the cool thing is with both these groups of people the people who may be walking in a time of darkness or people actually living in darkness there's hope for both those groups and so for the people who are walking in darkness they have seen a great light you know, there's a pinprick on the horizon, maybe, that, you know, as they're getting closer, the light's getting brighter and brighter. Um, and for the people who've dwelt in a land of darkness, it says, on them a light has shone. To me, I just look at this and it fills me with hope and it fills me with thankfulness because it's for people who maybe are, they feel like they're moving, they feel like they're moving, but there's like difficulty and there's challenge that they're kind of having to power through, like there's hope. Like you've seen it, you know it, it's there. You know, and that obviously that light, that great light is Jesus. You know, Isaiah's talking about the coming of Jesus and now we have him. And when we're in our moments of difficulty or in our moments of struggle, like Jesus is there for us. Now for the second group of people, the people who feel like you're stuck, there's hope, there's, there's nothing to hold on to. Um, there's no way out. There's no, nothing to kind of like hang your hope on. It's what I love. I love this so much. It says, on them, a light has shone. You know, if you're in a time of temporary darkness, you have found, you've found it. The light is there. But when you're stuck, the light finds you. On them, a light has shone. Just, I love it. It's just so, so beautiful. Um, and going on to uh, verse three, um, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. You know, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they uh, divide up the spoils. And, you know, what I like about this section is here, obviously, that uh, Isaiah is kind of describing now or d directly addressing God. And he's saying, these are the things that you have actually done. Um, you know, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased their joy. Um, and as a result they're rejoicing before you. They have joy. And it's the same kind of joy that you get, you know, at the harvest. Now, my wife does a ton of gardening. I like gardening as well. I should clarify that. Sarah does a ton of gardening. I like helping Sarah with gardening, less about the gardening and more about I like to help my wife. Um, although I think I like gardening too. Anyways, I'm really tempted to start over, but one take, you guys are getting one take. Um, but with that, it comes along as like, you know, it, there's something that's really great about putting time and effort into something and then seeing it come to fruition later on. And then if you multiply that feeling by, you know, thousands of times over and where if your whole culture, your whole society, your whole civilization is built around, you know, uh, an agrarian lifestyle where your whole year is based on a ton of work to plant to weed, uh, to, to take care, to protect the crops. And it's all building up to the time of harvest when all of the work that you've been putting in, in your life, in your, in every, in everything, all that work is coming to fruition, uh, at the harvest time. And there's just that sense of joy, that sense of fulfillment. That is the result. Like that's what happens when we are provided for by, um, our father. And the interesting thing is that, um, and this is kind of a bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's worth it, is that if you look at the land, um, you know, around 
like in and around where the prophet Isaiah actually would have been living and moving and, um, is it doesn't strike you like, and so you, you can like look at pictures of like, uh, of, of, of Israel and Palestine today, like it doesn't strike you as like a great verdant lush landscape necessarily. Um, but there's still provision that happens even in the midst of things. And when God is our provider, when he is the one who shows up, when he, when he is your light, you can have a sense of fulfillment and joy and overwhelming gratefulness, you know, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what the circumstances look like. And what we say, what we're seeing here in, in verse three is it says like, God is the one who multiplies. God is the one who brings to maturity. God is the one who increases. He is the one who does that. And as a result, we then get to experience that fulfillment. We get to experience that joy. Um, you know, actually with the harvest and also the, the, the last part of the verse is, you know, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. And so what they're referring to is the spoils of war. If there's a conflict, um, uh, you know, back then it was like, you know, one nation beat the other nation. Well, the nation who won got it. They, they won all the stuff. You know, they get to pick through the battlefield and find the jewels and the money and, uh, you know, and the, the really cool things, whatever. And the interesting thing is, is that with the harvest, it's like you do the work. But the results of the harvest are not really up to you. They're up to, you know, they're, they're a reflection of, you know, the, the seasons, a reflection of the conditions of the soil, or they're, they're a reflection of the circumstances. Um, now, you have to put the work in, but then ultimately it's God who brings about, you know, the fruit. And uh, with the spoils of war as well, it's when you uh, are in conflict and you feel like you're going to battle and you feel like you're having to just like get up and like walk through and force yourself into each situation. And it feels like you're pushing against resistance the whole time. Ultimately it's God is the one who is overseeing that. And he's the one who brings about the spoils ultimately. Um, moving on to uh, verse four, uh, the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Um, as I look at that verse, the first place my eye goes to is Midian. Um, and, you know, depending on your Bible knowledge and how much you might be aware of in terms of Old Testament history, um, you may or may not get the reference, but Midian is a reference to, you can't just stand the answer. I'm, I'm actually preaching to New Life Fellowship right now. Mm. So you can hang out if you want to for a second. Uh-huh. I need you to hold on to your question for a little bit, all right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as you... Um, so the day of Midian. So Midian is a reference to Gideon. Um, and the Gideon was a judge that God raised up and to deliver the nation of Israel from uh, an oppressive army. And the wild thing about Gideon's story is he had an army of thousands of men. And God said, you have too many men. And over the course of a series of exercises that kind of God led Gideon and his men through, the army ended up getting shrunk down and shrunk down and shrunk down. And and finally, with an army of 300 men, God, through Gideon, obliterated a huge, huge oppressive army and brought deliverance to Israel. So, you know, for me, myself, I, I don't have a Midian, you know, necessarily to think back to, per se, other than maybe like <clears throat> something like Vimy Ridge. You know, it's this, this pinnacle of like, it's like extremely like it's a Canadian, you know, military um, uh, like a Canadian military achievement, 
where something that many other nations had tried to take Vimy Ridge in World War II, but it was the Canadians that actually got it done. Um, looking back, something like D-Day uh, is like a huge monumental kind of turning point in a massive, massive conflict. Like that's kind of what Midian would have meant to people who were reading this or hearing this as, as Isaiah was presenting it. Um, the other thing is, you know, so it's obviously it says, you have broken as on the day of Midian in the same way that God delivered the nation of Israel from an oppressive, uh, an oppressive army an oppressive, an oppressive regime. God has broken. What has he broken? He's broken the yoke of our burden, the staff for our shoulder, the rod of the oppressor. <clears throat> it's really interesting to look at those three different phrases, how they kind of, again, they describe three really different situations. So, you know, the the yoke of a burden, while a burden, like when I think about what is my burden, what's the yoke? It's like, I am responsible. I've got kids to feed. I've got a mortgage to pay for. I've got a role at New Life Fellowship. I've, you know, I've got all these different places where there's responsibility that I've accepted and that I've stepped into, and it's mine. And it can feel like a really heavy weight sometimes. And what I, the prophet Isaiah is talking about here is like the light that's come, like Jesus, he's the one, he breaks the yoke of that burden. Like he's the one who actually can carry that weight for me. Um, the second, the second one, the staff for the shoulder. You know, there's, um, you know, you can kind of find imagery of this uh, depending on where you look, but you know, the, you see imagery of like of of people walking with like a staff across their shoulders. They might have like buckets of water or big heavy stones, and that's where it's you know you've got labor that you have to do, and typically it's going to be repetitive. It's not going to be exciting. It's something where you know. It's just a matter of like, you've got weight and you've just got to walk. You just got to move. It's an unrelenting, heavy, heavy weight. Like that's what we're talking about in the staff. And for people who are in that situation, the light, (laughs) I love it. The light that's come for you. It's like, it breaks that it like, it comes and you are able to experience, you know, an engagement with Jesus. You're able to experience a fulfillment and a joy uh, in the midst of, that like ongoing grading, uh, uh, unbreaking monotony, something that might drive other people out of their minds. Like Jesus is there and he can actually help bring a sense of, you know, thriving in the midst of that, despite that. And then the third phrase, talk about the rod of the oppressor. I think that's something that all of us can understand. We live with the flesh in our minds. We live uh, with you know, enemies out there. And then maybe they're not enemies that are like, you know, physical flesh and blood. Maybe it's a, something like a, a mental health issue. Um, maybe it's something where there's a physical health problem. Maybe there's something where it's like, there's, you know, the culture at your workplace or the culture of your, of your extended family, the culture of your nuclear family. It's like, there's something where it's like, this is like, and something that's oppressive. Well, the light that's come, the light that you've seen, maybe the light that's found you, like it breaks that. It does. And as we learn to trust Jesus and we learn to obey him, like that's when we begin to experience, you know, um, what that looks like and what that feels like. Um, kind of moving on to the verse five, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You know, the, the boots were a really central key part of any warriors kind of like outfit. Um, if you didn't have good footwear, 
you're not going to be able to good footing in combat, and then you're in trouble. Um, and you know, the garments rolled in blood. Like your if you your your cloak was something that other people could identify, other soldiers could identify you by. You know, a cloak kept you warm at night. A cloak had so many purposes. And what we're seeing here is like these t- these items that are so associated with conflict and so associated with that. Um, those items are going to be no discarded, no longer used in, in, in bloody combat, no longer used in, in war. It's going to be used actually as fuel for fire. You know, fire is something that um, can be uh, a source of creativity. Fire can be something that can be a source of warmth. It can be the source of sustenance. There's so many things. You know, the fire, like the Holy Spirit is, you know, uh, fire is often a picture of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, I think back to actually as the Israelites were walking through uh, for 40 years, uh, you know, walking through the wilderness. You know, there's a pillar of cloud that protected them from the sun uh, by day. And what was, what was that night is a pillar of fire. Like God protected them with light and he protected them with warmth in the, de- in the cold desert nights. And what we're seeing is like the things that we used to use to protect ourselves, the things that we used to use to... Um, to lash out at other people like God's actually going to redeem that and turn it around. It's going to be something that is going to be used for our benefit. And that sounds eerily familiar. I swear I've heard that before. I think I think I think I want to say Romans 8, 28, I think I could be wrong, but um, it talks about how all things like work together for the good of those who who trust Jesus, right? They're, and they're called according to his purpose. And that's us. That's us. And, you know, Isaiah 9 verse 5 is kind of, it's kind of like pointing up to Jesus and pointing up to that amazing truth. And then on to verse 6. I mean, this is the quintessential Christmas. Such a beautiful, beautiful verse. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God everlasting father the prince of peace i mean if i kind of step back and think about this like think about who jesus actually is you know he is the solution to a conflict that spans time itself um and you know think about satan think about the flesh think about the indwelling sin these realities that each of us deal with every single day every moment we're dealing with that you know you know they they're working to stack the deck you know, against me, like against you. And, you know, there's, there's no mercy there. You know, there's a great book, a good friend of mine, Press Gillum wrote called No Mercy, but like, and there's, there's absolutely no mercy like that the, the enemy brings. Like you might be having a terrible day and the enemy kicks you when you're down and he kicks you hard. There's no mercy for that. They bring their worst, the big guns, you know, and they're, they try to, they're trying to do the maximum amount of damage possible in every single moment. And God's response to that is a baby. It's a child. That just blows my mind. It's just it's just nuts. Um, and I think about, you know, working through these different titles that Isaiah is ascribing to Jesus. You know, wonderful counselors. Um, you know, like wonderful literally means of wonders. It was miraculous, like amazing feats. And have we experienced, you know, when I think about the word miracle, like we think about that as like, oh, is there like a miracle of healing or a miracle provision? And do we say, do we see those things in our lives? Like, well, yeah, we do. Maybe not as often as we wish we could. Uh, I wish I had that ability like on speed dial. Actually, I don't even use speed dial anymore. That's an outdated reference. I don't know. Anyways, that's a, 
if I was doing a take two, I don't know if I'd use that again, but I'm not. I'm doing take one. Um, but I would love to have that miraculous ability, just like ready at the drop of a hat. But unfortunately, that's not really how it works, is it? Right now, if I think about, you know, uh, good friend, Michael Pleshi, Michael, I'm sure you're watching. You're probably taking notes because that's the kind of guy you are. Uh, Michael Pleshi, like, you know, he was talking with me about how one of the most powerful miracles he's ever experienced was, you know, deliverance from, you know, 10 years plus of bitterness. God delivered him from that. And I heard him, I remember hearing him say that for the first time and it, it blew my mind. I'm like, what's actually harder to do? Is it, is it harder like to deliver someone from like 10 plus years of, of like of a, of a mental habit of like a bitterness and like, and, a, and like something like a bondage in your heart. Like that is, that is incredible work. Like that's, that's a miracle that, that I don't typically recognize as a miracle. And that's the thing that Jesus does. When he comes, things change. When Jesus is present, things are going to change. They always, always do. You can be confident in that. That's what the, you know, the wonderful counselor, he's somebody when, and he brings, there's like, Elf doesn't say wonderful dictator or wonderful tyrant, uh, because he's not, he doesn't come, he's not the boss unless you make him the boss. Um, he's a counselor. He brings you know, so I can think of like other words like strategist, advisor, you know, experience, he's insightful, he's knowledgeable. And what happens, like, he's also very respectful of us. Like, he doesn't, he does, he's respectful of our autonomy. And if you ask him, what are the things that you want me to do? And you have that heart, like, he will reveal it to you. Maybe it's a thought that pops your mind. Maybe it's, you know, maybe as you seek counsel from friends, like you hear somebody say something kind of like lights up in your mind a little bit, but he will provide counsel for you. And when you choose to obey that counsel, then you're able to like actually begin to experience the things that he has for you to experience. <sighs> Excuse me. So wonderful counselor, mighty God. I love that word mighty. Um, we don't use it very much, but like it talks about heroic, talks about, you know, a champion, outstanding, you know, a valiant warrior. Like that's who we have. That's Jesus. You know, he's our, he's our everlasting father. Um, you know, this, uh, this concept of like in perpetuity, like he's, he exists. And then there's like that father, the word there, you know, um, it's the root words like Abba. And so it talks about, you know, there's like a very, very personal, like a very intimate, um, I don't know, maybe it's just like my more conservative Christian upbringing, but like whenever you hear someone say daddy God, it hardly kind of like, it kind of tweaks my spine a little bit. But, but I think the reason for that is because the idea of God being the architect of the universe, I'm very comfortable with that. You know, God being this like huge, like massive scope, this epic figure. Like, yes, that's who God is. But I think about God being somebody that I can like, you know, ugly cry on their shoulder and like snot on his shirt and like, that makes me feel weird. Like it's, it's part of me likes having God out here. I prefer to have God at arm's distance from time to time, but that's not who he is. Like he is that, but he's more than that. He's also God right here. And it's like, there's that, that everlasting in perpetuity, a personal, like intimate, like that's who Jesus is. That's who Isaiah is proclaiming him to be. And then, you know, the, the next one, the Prince of Peace, you know, the, uh, uh, he's somebody who is all about peace and you know, the, that, that Hebrew word shalom, which means so much more 
than just the word peace does. Doc spoke shalom being completion means like um, like a holistic view of 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 an individual's well being and welfare. You know, it kind of wraps up the idea of like of success and about peace and of you know prosperity and of of, of you know this kind of uh, security. Like that's who our God is. Like that's who that's who Jesus is, and He's the Prince of Peace, and He has the authority, which is the Prince part. He has the authority to actually execute and actually carry that out. It's not my effort that does this. You know, Isaiah is is prophesying. He's speaking ahead uh, and describing what's going to happen. And this is not on us. This is on Jesus. I think sometimes what happens with me is like, I feel like I might hear a promise from God. I read a promise from God. And then I internalize that somehow and something changes in my mind where it goes from, oh, this is a promise that God made, where it's like, okay, these are instructions and this is what I have to achieve now. It's like, it's not my job to fulfill God's promises. It's God's job to fulfill his promises. You're bringing so much to this. You're probably, you're probably more interesting than I am right now. Anyway, um, verse seven of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I love it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know, it's easy to look at the government. It's easy to look at the authorities in your life, uh, whether they're man-made or not, looking at the authorities in your life and, and pin the responsibility for your problems on them. And whether or not they, they, maybe it's theirs, maybe it's not. But at the end of the day, so often, um, what we do is it's it's his fault, it's her fault, it's their fault that I'm going through this. But ultimately, the government that we subscribe to is Jesus. Um, you know, you and I were no longer citizens of this world. Like I am on paper, I'm a citizen of Canada. And, you know, that's what my passport says. But the greater reality, the spiritual reality is that my nation is now heavenly. I'm part of the kingdom of heaven. And my government is Jesus. And my government is God. And the, he governs on a heart level. And so that is what this is referring to. The increase of his government, the increase of his peace. And there will be no end of that. Like that tells me, and that's that the promise here is that regardless of the state of culture, regardless of the state of society, I can experience peace. I can experience shalom. I can experience fulfillment and fulfillment that's bigger and greater than my circumstances. Fulfillment that's that's bigger and greater than my ability to pay for X, you know, my my ability to fulfill my kids or to be a good parent or to be a good husband or whatever. It's like I can have a peace I don't experience that all the time and I want to, like, I, I want to live in a place, um, not a geographic place. I want to live in a place where I can have hope and I can have experience fulfillment regardless of my circumstances. And that's what Isaiah is prophesying. He's like, Jesus is the one. He is the key to that. I like, I love the end of verse seven. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's not me. It's not you. It's not the government. It's the zeal of the Lord of the hosts, you know, the zeal, the passion, the drive, the commitment of the Lord of hosts. You know, it's interesting because, you know, we, you know, the Lord of hosts, like the concepts, like it's a, to me, it's a reminder that 
that, that God has control and he has power. And it's like in his powerful um, commitment, his powerful devotion to me is the promise. You know, it's that is what is going to accomplish this. You know, I'm talking about this. It's like I'm looking at my notes here. But um, the more that I think about this, you know, I have... I have different thoughts and different images that kind of come to my mind. You know, we're going for 27 minutes and 31, 32, 33 seconds. And so I don't want to be too much longer. Um, but I've just written something here that I think is, is good. And it says, you know, this chapter contains vivid and powerful imagery, you know, clear statements of Jesus's identity, who he is, what he does and who he is for. And it's for any of that, any of us who have no hope or who need real hope. In this chapter is for any of us feeling the weight of the world pulling on their heart and constricting their soul. You know, in your time of upheaval and in, in, in your time of frustration and in your time of conflict, you know, God has provided for you already. And that provision is Jesus. He is the prize. He is our secret weapon. He is our excellent defense. He is our very good reason for hope. He is our nourishment. He is the beating heart of our church. You know, he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace and the everlasting father. He governs us and his kingdom of the heart cannot be defeated. It cannot be minimized. It cannot be marginalized. He is all knowing and all powerful and he is present everywhere. You cannot find a place beyond his awareness. You cannot hold a secret that's too dark or too loathsome for Jesus to carry on his broad shoulders. You cannot find a condition of the heart that is too far a stretch for his great might. You know, Jesus cradled the hearts and desires of each member of humanity in his arms and carried them with utmost care to the cross. With his own pain, his own agony and blood and his death, he purchased the full and perfect completion of you with your quirks and your weirdness and your unspoken or even unrecognized desires, your forgotten dreams, he holds each piece of your broken heart in his palms. He is your perfect solution. You know, your, your path is dark. You can't see one, front, front the, one foot in front of the next. With each new step, you pray you find solid ground beneath your feet. You live in deep darkness and confusion, frustration, angst, loss, and blindness. You live each day in conflict. you taking and giving wounds. Your feet are tired. You're battle-weary. You know, a bone-weary exhaustion settles around you like a heavy cloak. But if you tilt your head and you squint your eyes, maybe you can see a glimmer of light on the horizon and a point of hope growing from a pinprick into a blaze with a cross silhouetted in its midst. And you might feel for the first time glowing warmth on your clammy skin. And that's Jesus. He's your wonderful counselor. He's your mighty God, your everlasting father. He is your prince of peace. You know, so today I proclaim his magnificence and I worship and I praise him for his majesty, for his pure power, uh, his overwhelming and quaking strength. And the real beauty takes place when you begin to test Jesus's identity. And when you take a risk on him, then the promises become reality. A thousand eloquent sermons and 10,000 beautiful worship songs cannot do what a single act of faith can manage. A simple, you say this, so I will do it. 
I will do, you say this, Jesus, and I will do it in spite of fill in the blank. Those who walk in great darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, a light has shone on them. Will you trust your wonderful counselor enough to obey his guidance? Will you refuse to spawn, respond to the threats surrounding you and keep your eyes above your enemies on your mighty God? Will you choose to trust your everlasting father as your source for life and sustenance? Will you turn to your Prince of Peace instead of your go-to solutions for comfort or for self-care? Responsibly for your growth and your care and your provision is on Jesus' shoulders. What I'm discovering in my life, and I keep thinking I've learned the lesson, and then I run into another problem and I realize I actually haven't learned it yet. <laughs> what I've discovered is a link, a thick black line between trusting Jesus, obeying Jesus, and experiencing who he is. And what I love about this, oh, I love about this chapter is it's a constant reminder that I can go back to where it's like, this is who Jesus is. And this time of the year, it can be easier than almost any other time of the year to forget that because I've got baking to do because, well, not me. Well, I'll probably do some baking, but we've got some kids with, you know, dietary issues and that, and that makes things complicated. <laughs> so we've got baking to do and we've got parties to get ready for. We've got... <laughs> We've got kids who are a little bit sick. You know, I'm just getting over a sinus infection. Like, there's so many things. And it's like, it's so easy to for like, just, it looks like the, you know, tunnel vision around the great light is starting to kind of creep in. And like, that's not the worst thing in the world. That's okay. Jesus is big enough to handle that. But I can sit and say, wait a second. Like, the responsibility is, like, it's on his shoulders. And my job is to listen and to obey and to trust. And... Does that make it easy? Yes. Just kidding. No, it's not easy. No, it's not easy. Um, but it's also him. He's the one who gives us the will and the desire. I think that's in first Peter or second, one of the Peters. Um, but anyway, um, new life. I love you guys. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of us. I'm very excited for Christmas. Um, it's, it's kind of nice to not have to be at church today on one hand. Um, <laughs> Uh, and <laughs> but I also look can't wait to see you guys soon so uh, Merry Christmas guys love you very much and um, praying for each one of you so um, if you think Bronte was more interesting than me then that's fine I agree as well <laughs> can you say Merry Christmas to everybody can you say hello <laughs> there we go alright new life I love you guys see you around You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.